Welcome to the Forensic Nutritionist Podcast. My name is Fiona Tuck. I'm a nutritional medicine practitioner and a qualified skin therapist for over 25 years. The Forensic Nutritionist Podcast takes an investigative approach into all things nutrition, gut health and skin, using qualified experts to bring you information that you can trust. We are all unique. The information presented herein is not intended to diagnose, to treat or cure disease. Please seek professional medical guidance prior to modifying any diet, exercise or lifestyle program. Let us begin. On the podcast today, we have Dr. Amy Gajar. Amy is a medical doctor with 20 years clinical experience. Her experience ranges from hospital work as a GP partner and also as an integrative doctor. Amy is very, very highly qualified. She's always training and updating her knowledge. She does also have a special interest in gut health, thyroid and autoimmune conditions. Amy is very, very knowledgeable. It's an absolute privilege to have you here today, Amy. Thank you very much for coming in to chat to us about thyroid and, and gut. Great. Thank you, Fiona. Very exciting topic because I have to admit there's so many people I speak to that say they have thyroid issues, they may have Hashimoto's, seems to be a lot of people with Hashimoto's, or there's also seems to be a lot of people out there that think they've got a thyroid issue but it, it's not really being picked up by their regular GP. So talking to you today I think is going to be very, very interesting because I know that's a subject that you're, you're really passionate about. So can you just tell us why gut health and thyroid really are such a, a, a topic that, that interests you so much? Yes, so gut health has become so um, widely known about yes. it, and it's great that it's now coming out in the media as well. Uh, you know, there's now so much evidence and research on gut health, the gut microbiome, and it's links to everything. So it's not just the links to other chronic gut conditions like, you know, Crohn's and celiac disease yeah. and the colitis and or IBS, <clears throat> but it's also in relation to children's learning and behavioral conditions, thyroid conditions, of course, um, you know, Parkinson's, dementia, autoimmune conditions, skin conditions. So there are links with everything. Even if people don't have gut symptoms, there can still be underlying yes. gut issues going on and imbalances in the gut microbiome. And this isn't necessarily a new concept per se gut health is central to many traditional medicine systems such as ayurveda which is the indian traditional system and diet and gut health is is paramount there as well now we've got the scientific evidence supporting a lot of this as well which is fantastic because i think sometimes western medicine although it it can be life-saving at the same time sometimes it can be a little bit behind yes absolutely and it's catching up and, and certainly you know, there's a lot more media awareness around gut health as well, which is fantastic. Fantastic. And, and with traditional Western <coughs> medicine and, and GPs, how much training is there with that link with gut health? Is that is that mainstream at the moment? I won't say it's mainstream. Mm. It's becoming slowly mainstream as the evidence has, has come about. Uh, but certainly, certainly in, in my medical training, there wasn't anything no. like that. You know, you learn about the gut conditions, but not necessarily the gut microbiome and its relation to every aspect of health. Yeah, and we're almost learning new things every day. I Absolutely. know about it, which Absolutely. Is, is so, so exciting. Yeah. So when it comes to the thyroid gland, yeah. can you explain a little bit about 
you know, what it is, what it does, the role of the thyroid gland, and how do we know if there is a thyroid imbalance? Yeah. So the thyroid gland is a very important part of the endocrine system. It's a small gland in the neck. It's butterfly-shaped, weighs about an ounce, so tiny, but very important, and it controls many, many functions. And, you know, and that, that includes, you know, uh, energy production. So it's involved in, for example, mitochondrial structure and function. So if there's imbalances that can affect energy, uh, temperature regulation, circulation, neurotransmitters. There's so many functions. Also gut function. There's a, there is a direct link between mm. thyroid and gut as well. <clears throat> so it's got many functions. And as a result, the symptoms can also be varied. So the more common symptoms that we, we tend to see is fatigue. So it's just low energy or despite doing the right things and getting enough sleep, people can still be tired. Again, which, is, which is most people. <laughs> yes, which you mean most people. And this doesn't mean to say everyone's got no, a thyroid exactly, issue, yeah. but it's certainly one of the more common presentations. Um, and you know, often there can be gut symptoms, often constipation if it's underactive thyroid. Yes. Um, there can be anxiety and depression and there's actually been some fascinating research just published last year where anxiety and depression which we, we know that's linked to thyroid yeah. but there was a lot more research done where there is a, a, a strong correlation as well and what that means is if someone has got a thyroid condition we should be screening for anxiety and depression and if someone has got anxiety and depression we should also be looking at their thyroid function interesting um and then obviously there's there's other other symptoms um there could be you know cold hands cold feet you know because of the temperature regulation yeah. issues there's a general slowing down of everything in in underactive thyroid and we'll be speaking more about that because that's what is more common it's hypothyroidism which is underactive thyroid and that's the most common that's the most find. common that's the most common yeah so when <clears throat> you know somebody maybe um, thinks they may may have a, a thyroid condition and you're saying sort of underactive is, is quite common and there can be you know mood issues as well what is the connection there with thyroid and gut health so in the gut um, in fact about 20 percent of the thyroid hormone is actually made in the gut so we need to have the right gut bacteria for that right to happen in the first place Going into the biochemistry of thyroid, so we have thyroxine or T4, which is our main hormone, and some people may, may be familiar with that term because thyroxine is the name of the medication that's generally given yes. for underactive thyroid. So that in itself is inactive. It has to be converted to T3, which is, which is much more active than, than uh, T4. There are also other hormones mm. as well, but you know, basically we need that T4 to T3 conversion because it's, <clears throat> it's the T3 that is the active hormone <clears throat> a lot of that conversion happens not in the thyroid but in peripheral tissues including the gut liver and kidneys so when it comes to thyroid the importance of the whole body is important mm. we need thyroxine for certain functioning of the gut cells as well so th there is that direct link if there's inflammation arising from the gut, for example, from eating the wrong foods, from having the wrong bacteria, which produce these LPS, lipopolysaccharides, which can create inflammation, that inflammation can also affect the thyroid gland. <clears throat> if people are um, sensitive to gluten and dairy and not digesting that properly because of the leaky gut and not having proper digestion, not having enough stomach acid and digestive enzymes to break it down, 
that in partially digested proteins can leave the gut, enter the bloodstream, and through a process that is known as molecular mimicry, can also affect the thyroid gland. Right. So attacking so is that the when people gland. say that the that gluten, the protein in gluten, can be a similar structure to the, or sort of mimic the thyroid? Is that where Th that, that comes that's from? right? Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and other tissues as well. So, for example, in rheumatoid arthritis, which is also autoimmune, that would be the the, the joints and the cartilage. So it could be different tissues depending on what what condition it is. Right. And in this case, it would be the thyroid gland. And would that maybe be more of an issue if someone's got increased gut permeability, if someone's okay, you know, that, that doesn't have that issue, they would be all right to eat gluten if they've got thyroid issues? So... Big question. Big question. So, <laughs> first of all, we, uh, I would say we cannot fully treat a thyroid condition without addressing the gut. Yes. Which in, most GPs don't, do no, they? No, because in, in conventional medicine and the training and the guidelines, it, the thyroxine is the treatment yeah. for underactive thyroid. Yeah. There, in, in fact, in the guidelines, there is actually no reference to any lifestyle factors, including diet, at all. It's fascinating. Now, this regarding the gluten, it doesn't mean to say that everyone who's got a thyroid condition needs to be mm. off gluten, but certainly there is now evidence, and there has been there have been papers published on how if gluten is eliminated that improve the thyroid markers so it may be that initially to heal the gut and to get someone on the right diet we may need to do elimination in terms of gluten and dairy again this depends on the person yep. i'm not saying that everybody yep. needs to be on gluten and dairy free um but and clinically i find that often makes a difference now ultimately it's about what we do and eat in the long term. So we don't want to be restricted with any diet, whether that's gluten-free, dairy-free, whether that's low FODMAP, autoimmune diets, paleo diets. Ultimately, we need a practical suggestion, but initially, yes, that can be beneficial. And yes, there's research to support that. It's really interesting. And I think an area that probably isn't, that, I mean, this is why we've got you on today, because it, it is an area that you, you are really interested in and have a lot of experience in, and I know I, I always refer patients to you if they, they're concerned about thyroid issues because a lot of GPs aren't looking at that. I also see people, as we mentioned earlier, that, that think they may have a thyroid problem but have been told that their test results are normal and there's, there's no issue there. Um, and then sometimes later down the track they've seen another specialist and then something else has been found. So when it does come to thyroid testing, what are the basic tests and what tests should be, people be asking for to make sure that they do have thorough checks if they are concerned with thyroid conditions? So the, <clears throat> the test that's actually done for thyroid is the TSH. Thyroid stimulating that's, hormone. Yes, yep. yeah. So now the range for this varies from one laboratory to another and also amongst different countries as well. So the local <clears throat> laboratory I use, the range is 0.4 to 3.5. Right. Now, if the TSH is normal, the guidelines are that there's no need to test the free T4 and free T3, nor the thyroid antibodies. Interesting, so you would just be checking normally thyroid stimulating hormone. Absolutely, yes. Right. And if it's in the normal range, there's no justification to go further. The problem is, and this is partly why some people have thyroid conditions but it's not diagnosed, is that there are other factors that affect the TSH level. 
TSH, we have to remember, is a pituitary hormone. It's not a thyroid hormone per mm. se. And stress, which most people have, cortisol, that actually reduces TSH. So generally speaking, the higher the TSH, the more underactive the thyroid is. But then there's other factors at play that can then reduce the TSH. So therefore, relying on the TSH level alone is not sufficient. Yeah. So you could be really stressed. You could have thyroid stimulating hormone at 3, 3.5, which is could be actually reducing to, it could actually be higher than that. But Absolutely. It's reduced. Yeah. Absolutely, so it, yeah. yeah. It's not a completely reliable yeah. test. What about the T3 and, and T4 tests? Can you explain what they would be checking? Yeah. So again, here we want to look at optimal levels. And again, the ranges given can be quite wide. So when we're looking at the results yes. from a functional medicine point of view, it's not looking at what's in that normal range because we have to remember the ranges given by the laboratories are generally yes. based on a disease population. Yes. So we're looking at upper levels of, of that range. So for T4, it'll be around the 14 to 18 mark. The, the T3 would be around the four to six mark. Um, but there are different variations of thyroid conditions. So for example, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is the autoimmune condition, and that's the most autoimmune, mm. um, the, the most common autoimmune condition. There have been cases where the TSH, the T4 and T3 were all at optimal levels from even from our perspective, but it's only when you actually looked at the thyroid antibody levels that you could diagnose someone with Hashimoto's. Right, so you could have your thyroid stimulating hormone checked, it's perfectly normal, and then not be referred for more checks, but still have Hashimoto's. Absolutely, Yeah. absolutely, yeah. Um, and then there are conditions. Um, <clears throat> I'm getting paranoid now. <laughs> with with, uh, with where you can you often just get a low T3, so the TSH can be normal, the T4 can be normal, but the T3 is normal. And going back to what we were saying earlier, T3 is is really the the, the main active hormone. And if we're not, and that relies on the and that's um, the one we need, right? For th yeah. th that's the one we need. Yeah. So so yes, we have enzymes to convert the T4 to T3, but again. And, and this is you know, a little bit of small print here, you know, we could have defects in our enzymes, yes. which means that we can't convert properly. Peripheral conversion, as we said, it's gut, liver, kidneys, and peripheral tissue. So we need to look at the, the, the state of that. So there could be many other factors as to why the T4 isn't being efficiently converted to T3. Nutrition, so we need adequate amounts of selenium, iodine, zinc, magnesium, certain B vitamins, vitamin C, vitamin D, for all that to happen. Mm. And then on the other spectrum, we've got factors such as stress, so cortisol, heavy metals, toxins such as plastics, BPA mimics T3, Does it's an it? endocrine disruptor. So we, we've got factors that, that we, we need optimal levels of those nutrients for the T4 to T3 conversion to happen. And then we've got factors that stop that as well. And all of that needs to be, be, be looked at as well. So, um, and then there's another uh, condition which is referred to as subclinical hypothyroidism, where the TSH can be normal or upper end of normal, um, and the, the other hormone levels are normal as well, but people have clinical symptoms. And yes. it's still important to keep an eye on people who have perhaps higher end of normal TSH levels, because a certain percentage of those do convert to hypothyroidism later on especially if they have antibodies. And there, again, there is research to support that as well. And would the antibodies really only come up in Hashimoto's? 
Yes, those specific antibodies can also be positive in Graves' disease, which is hyperthyroidism, but there's also another specific antibody that's diagnostic of Graves'. Um, the antibodies can be positive. It's, there's actually more research now that any antibody can also be a predictive marker as well. So it may not necessarily mean that someone's got that disease at the moment, but it could be something that happens yeah, in the future right. if we don't address the situation now. It's so interesting. How much do you think, and, and I know it's sort of a hard question to answer, how much do you think is genetic is, um, or, and how much of it do you think is environmental and, and diet related? Majority is the latter. So yes. definitely environment and lifestyle these days as, uh, as applies to any chronic disease is very important. Yes, there can be genetic factors which can predispose somebody to autoimmune conditions. For example, many patients with Hashimoto's have the celiac gene, so they may not necessarily have celiac disease, but they've, they've got a susceptibility to it and anything autoimmune. Thing Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and we can have you know enzyme defects in some of our enzymes that convert the T4 to T3, the deiodinase enzymes. Yeah. So there could be, yes, there could be other enzymes um, implicated, but these days largely lifestyle and environmental factors. And I mean, that's a great end to then say, what lifestyle and environmental factors should we be particularly aware of that could bring up thyroid conditions? Sure. So again, I would say nutrition, movement, stress management and sleep would be very critical and as well as reducing our environmental toxic load. And that's hard to do these days. Mm. You know, we live in this world, we, we just have to do the best we can. When it comes to nutrition, again, this is variable yes. and, you know, no, generic information, yeah. personalized. Um, but generally speaking, a whole food plant-based diet. So, and that's where the research is around longevity and reducing chronic illness all around anyhow. Um, so we wanna be avoiding processed foods and fried foods and foods with preservatives and additives and colorings and so forth as well. Yes, I mean, we've done other podcasts <coughs> on, on things like leaky gut and the, the additives and the food additives now that yeah. can be sort of really causing gut issues, which as we've already said, can lead to inflammation, gut issues, autoimmune. Yeah. So it is also very connected and very linked yeah. that um, I think it's very hard to now in Western medicine, just look at one organ and, and see that as the issue. We do have to definitely look at it as a, as a whole. Absolutely. Are there any particular foods that we can look at including in the diet when it comes to trying to keep our thyroid healthy? I wouldn't say any specific mm. foods. I would say you know, we want a generally healthy diet. Initially in the management, some people may need to eliminate yes. gluten and dairy, but to be honest, there are people who have done well on gluten-free, dairy-free diets, autoimmune, paleo, as well as vegan. So it, it really is variable. But I think if we stick to those general principles of having, you know, whole food, preferably organic, plant-based diet, incorporating at least, you know, good, you know, half your plate, you want fruits and veggies, you yes. want different colors because those phytonutrients affect the gut microbiome directly, yes. the antioxidants, so many great properties, you know, good protein source, animal or plant, and, um, healthy grains and there are non-gluten yes. grains that we can incorporate so i, I would wouldn't say that grains are a, a, a devil but um 
I think the whole grains and yeah, differ differentiate between the refined grains and the the whole grains. Whole foods, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because um, we're going to get those those nutrients in there with the the whole grains. It, it is interesting because, as I said, I know a lot of people that do do have thyroid issues. If say you have um, been to the doctor and they haven't done those tests, I know you've spoken to me before about um, having a scan. A thyroid scan. Yeah. How important would, would that be? When would you when would you introduce a thyroid scan? When would you refer to someone for a thyroid scan? I would certainly do do the blood results first. Yes. Um, so I, I would do TSH T four T three thyroid antibodies, and I can I and also do reverse T three as well. And can you just explain that? What that yeah, is? yeah. So as we said, so so T four has to be converted to T three, yeah. which is the active hormone. And we said on the one hand, we have the nutrients that we need to have that conversion happen, including iodine, selenium, zinc, magnesium. And we have the factors that stop that conversion, like stress and toxins. Mm. Now, our body, our brain doesn't distinguish between one type of stress and another, whether it's emotional or toxins or whatever. So if we have too much of the, those, those negative aspects happening, and not enough nutrients, the body in perceiving stress says, okay, we're in danger, we have to slow things down. We, we want to slow down our metabolism, we don't want to sort of waste away in, in times of danger. So then, the, rather than having that T4 to T3 conversion, it diverts into making reverse T3. Now, this is inactive, and it's like a break on the system. It's the body trying to do the right thing in times of perceived danger and it blocks the T3 from doing its work, so that's why, that's why people have hypothyroid symptoms. And it's an evolutionary survival mechanism. So for example, in hibernating mammals, that reverse T3 is high. Mm. So it's a case of saying, well, why is that happening? And if we address those factors, which are largely lifestyle and environmental, we can really help thyroid conditions. So the body's just really trying to protect and, and slow you down. Absolutely, really. yeah. Fascinating. And, yeah. and how much stress has an effect on the body is also, um, I, I, I think we say, oh, I'm so stressed, or, or we, we blame stress for a lot of things without mm -hmm. really realising the impact that stress really yeah. does have. Yeah. It's become the norm. I think modern society with technology and everything has just become life these days, and it's, it's just become the accepted norm that we're all multitasking and trying to do so much and yeah it's 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 but it's so important to address and it often it's that missing link you know we can do we can have an immaculate diet and do everything else but if we don't get the stress management and sleep right and sleep is also a really yes. important one as well it is and so many people don't sleep well yeah. i'm lucky i can yeah. i can sleep very easily <laughs> and when it comes to the different thyroid conditions let's take underactive thyroid for example at what point would somebody need medicating as opposed to just trying natural intervention sure so it depends on the values mm. of the results mm. and sorry going back to the the, the scan and when that's yeah. justified that would depend again on the, on the on the clinical picture. Certainly, if there's a goiter, if there's any sort of suspicion that there, there could be nodules or anything, then 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 that's important. Uh, but what, what's also interesting is that um, sometimes all the results can be normal, but you only pick up that inflammation when you actually do the scan. Right. So 
So it really depends on that clinical situation. So you can even pick up inflammation on the skin. Absolutely, yeah, wow, I didn't yeah, that. yeah. So I had had some interesting cases where someone, you know, they had typical hypothyroid symptoms, but all their results were looking normal. But it's when you do the scan that he actually found that inflammation as well, and that's really important to address there and then, even before their thyroid levels have changed, because. The more inflammation there is, the more, if you like, attack on the thyroid gland there is, that will destroy thyroid tissue mm. such that in the long term, they may well need thyroid replacement long term. Mm. That's really quite interesting. It's mind-blowing, actually, to, to know the effect that that can have on, on the thyroid. So in, in that situation, what would you do to reduce the inflammation? Certainly lifestyle and environmental would, would, would be the best place to start, absolutely. Now, this doesn't mean I wouldn't start medication. Again, it de depends on you know, a discussion, frank discussion between patient and doctor. Um, I guess many of the patients who come to see me are looking for natural approaches or they may already yes, be on thyroxine. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> it's not necessarily first line. And I think it, it's fine to, to, to trial lifestyle and, and, and look into all, the, all those factors if someone's clinical situation <clears throat> is such that it warrants at least some yes. temporary medication, that's absolutely fine. I mean, every, everyone is, is different, obviously, and different situations for, for different people. With medication, is there actual natural alternatives? Yes, there are. Like so there is the, in fact, the original treatment for hypothyroidism was natural desiccated thyroid, which comes from poor cyanobovine yes. origins. Um, so that was actually the original treatment before thyroxine was manufactured by the pharmaceutical industry. It's still so used. So animal derived is yes. the natural. That's the, 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 yeah. the natural. I mean, in terms of improving thyroid function in other ways, yes, we can optimize on those nutrients that we, we, we mentioned and provide the, the body and the thyroid gland with, with the nutrients that it needs. There's also other herbs which are very helpful as well and obviously all, all the other lifestyle factors that we mentioned. But in terms of actual hormone treatment, it's natural desiccated thyroid. And there's different versions of that available here and in, in the US as well. Right, so that could be an issue if you're vegan. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, yes. So, um, but insulin's the same thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there, there are synth synthetic varieties of that now as well. I mean, there is also T3, which is available synthetically, so you can add on the T3. So if someone has low T3 levels or high reverse T3 levels, in that situation, that actually warrants adding in T3 and, and that can, can be synthetic as well. So you can have a thyroxine plus a T3 combination um, or if patients are willing to try thyroid extract, then, then they can be converted or started with that as well. So the benefits of that is that it naturally contains T4 and T3 as well as other thyroid hormones and other nutrients as well that thyroid needs. And clinically, I find that most people who are converted to, from thyroxine to thyroid extract do much better. Right, so thyroxine is a synthetic it version. It is, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. one that's, that's man-made. Yeah. Um, and then the natural one is animal derived. Yes. But would the patient have a choice on which one to go on? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's their choice ultimately. Thyroxine is the conventional treatment. T3 can also be prescribed conventionally as well. Um, then from compounding pharmacies, we can also do different combinations of T4, T3 synthetic or the natural version. Because I'm very much about, I guess, trying to find the cause, um, and this is the forensic nutritionist 
podcast, yeah. I do wonder, I mean, all the things that we've been spe- speaking about, how much of it could be prevented, yeah. how much of it could be treated by getting the gut right and getting the gut bacteria in yes. balance yeah. to help with your own thyroid hormone production. Yeah rather than going straight to the medication. Absolutely. And yeah. I, I totally appreciate that there's different levels and, and everything is, is different for, for different people. So some people may need to go straight on the medication depending how severe it is. But I always do wonder what we can do first before having to go down that route. Yes. Have, have you actually had situations where you've seen thyroid conditions improve purely just by treating naturally with with diet and and lifestyle absolutely yeah and as i said addressing gut health is paramount to treating a thyroid condition we i don't think we can really fully optimally treat a thyroid condition without addressing the gut so i always aim for that first but again if there's an individual need for medication that then that can be done temporarily Um, but there are many cases where if we address all those factors thyroid hormone production improves That's naturally. That's incredible. And when treating the gut, what would you actually do to treat it? Do, do you do any gut testing? Do you test the bacteria? Do you... I do, yes. Yeah. So again, we, we address the nutrition. I often re- refer to other colleagues as well so that they can actually have a practical sort of idea because it can be yes. quite overwhelming changing your diet. And so I, I work closely with with, with other colleagues as well. Um, and then I do a lot of gut testing as well, looking at the gut microbiome and addressing those imbalances as well. And would that then involve things like probiotics? Probiotics and antimicrobial herbs, yeah, yes, yeah. If, if appropriate, yes, yeah. And is there much of a link between things like SIBO and small intestinal yes, bacterial overgrowth? Yes, there's an absolute link between SIBO and thyroid. Isn't that yeah, amazing? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we yeah. have already done a podcast on, on SIBO, but it just seems to be linked to, to so many different yeah. things and yeah. getting that gut bacteria in balance seems yeah. to be so important. Do you know which gut bacteria it is that, that helps with the thyroid hormone? Which particular bacteria are involved? Do you know which ones are involved? Off the top of the head. We won't say the no. specific ones, yeah. but we, yeah, we want a good balance of the yeah. different lactobacillus and bifidos strains. And you know, and this is where, where the research is heading now. It's strain-specific research. Yes. You know, that there are strains that have been linked to improving insulin resistance, for example, so, and, and strains that have been linked to improving allergies and asthma, yeah. for example. So, so nothing specific per se, but we want that right balance. And, and if, the, if the report shows that there's inadequate amounts of certain good bacteria, we want to be populating with that. But also the prebiotics are really important. Yes. A lot more research around prebiotics. Yes. Well, as so. you know, I'm all about the, the prebiotics and yeah. building up your own gut bacteria. <laughs> and I think with the probiotics, they are so specific, aren't they? I mm. mean, you, you really need to know which bacteria you need specifically to really help with yep. what you're treating yep. so yeah i always say you know if, if you are taking a probiotic just make sure you do speak to a professional to find out what you need and if it's the right one yep. for you yeah because yep. we are all so so unique but i think that the prebiotic evidence is is quite exciting and yep. you know get on the fruit and the veg and the yeah. plants <laughs> yeah. i know if you're listening to each podcast that's that's pretty much what we say on every podcast yeah. but the the prebiotics are really really so important when we're looking at at thyroid health in general are there any sort of misconceptions that you think we need to know about that you'd like to clear out you know maybe with um modern western medicine mm. or any 
myths, if you like, when it comes yeah. to thyroid and treating the thyroid? Yeah. So the treatment for hypothyroidism at the moment is thyroxine, and there's no reference in the, in the guidelines around lifestyle. So when people are told they have a thyroid condition and they go on thyroxine, they're told it's lifelong, and mm. I would disagree with that. Yes, they may need medication, but there's a lot of these factors that we've discussed that can be addressed, meaning that they can either stop their medication later on if their body's able to do it themselves, or at least reduce that medication. And so it is not irreversible, right. is, is my point. Which is great. And saying that though, is it possible that someone could go on thyroxine straight away and then in a way the body gets used to it so they then have to have higher doses of it? Yes, yeah, so we wanna be avoiding that as well. And also, if there are those issues that we mentioned before in terms of inadequate nutrients and those negative factors that, that affect the T4 to T3 conversion, the more T4 thyroxine that's given, that could potentially increase the reverse T3 and actually make them worse. Mm. And sometimes we see that where often we, uh, there's uh, an increase of the dose that's required, but above a certain level, increasing the dose of the thyroxine actually doesn't make the patient feel better clinically, it actually makes them feel worse. And then we have to question what's going on, and that is likely to be what's going on, and that biochemistry explains that. It, that makes so much sense and I think it comes down again to getting the right nutrients through the diet. Yeah. I'm passionate about getting the nutrients through whole foods because mm. you do get all, as you were saying earlier, the bioactives and the, the um, plant compounds that come with the food. Yeah. It's not taking a, a synthetic vitamin on its own that's in a way is going to have a knock-on effect or a, a side on side effect as well if you yep. just take an isolated nutrient yes to me that that doesn't make any sense to to rely on that long term yep. and i think the problem is so many people now are eating processed foods as a way of life and then popping the synthetic vitamins yep. and then wondering why they're still having health issues because they think the vitamin pill popping is going to help them yeah yep. which it's not quite that simple. It, it is all about the, the biochemistry of the body because we really need the nutrients. Yes, yeah. And in, in a form that it can take and the right amounts. And if we take too much, you know, it's, we, we don't necessarily absorb it all. And, and obviously if there's gut issues, we're not going to be absorbing the, those nutrients either. No, exactly. From, from so again, it all links back, all the way back to the gut. Yeah. I also know you've been doing some um, lectures and talks yeah. and yeah. you've also been talking about thyroid to thyroid health and helping general GPs with yeah. that. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that and what you've been doing? Yeah, so I, I, I trained with ACNAM, which is the Australasian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine. And um, yeah, back in March, uh, did, did, did a lecture on thyroid and adrenal health and also lifestyle medicine to mainly GPs, but also other health professionals. And um, it's, it's a great way of, I think it's so important for, for GPs and other allied health professionals to, to be getting this other information, which isn't necessarily in, in the standard curriculum. Mm, fantastic. And there is that strong link, isn't there, between adrenal health and thyroid health? Yes, absolutely, yeah, direct link. So again, it's about addressing the, the adrenals and um, adrenal fatigue is, is not a, an accurate term. You know, mm. HPA axis dis dysfunction is, is what we should be talking about really. But certainly stress in terms of the high cortisol levels will directly impact the thyroid gland because it, it will reduce that T4 to T3 conversion and the 
TRH and TSH hormones that are produced in the brain, the hypothalamus and pituitary respectively, are reduced from stress as well, and that can reduce the output of thyroid hormone as well. And I know you're very much or, or very highly trained in functional medicine as well. Can you explain a little bit about that as well for some people that might not know what yeah. functional medicine yeah. is? Yeah, so this term, it comes from, from the US, so the, the organization, the Institute of Functional Medicine, Essentially, it's an approach where rather than treating the symptom with a medication, it's about saying, okay, what are the root causes here? What is going on underneath yes. and yeah. contributing to those symptoms yeah. and illness? Yeah. And a lot of that is, is, is the lifestyle yeah. factors that, that, that So it's that getting to the root cause, really. It, again, it comes yes. down to that forensic approach, trying to Absolutely. find out the cause, treat the cause rather than the symptom. Absolutely, yeah. So you know, an, an analogy I sometimes use is like a tree. So you, you imagine different sort of little branches of the trees. You've got sort of cardiac symptoms or respiratory symptoms or gastro symptoms, all these different symptoms. But if we trace that back down, we've got these few key roots. And these days, inflammation is one of the key key factors mm. and that inflammation can come from a poor inadequate diet not enough exercise or too much exercise yes too much stress and not enough sleep or even too much sleep and when we're talking about inflammation we're talking about that chronic low-grade inflammation that yeah. people may not even be aware Absolutely. that they have yeah we're not talking about yeah. a swelling on the hand or something yeah. like that we're talking about internal chronic inflammation very very low grade yeah which just just persists because of the, those factors yeah and can we test for that inflammation yeah so th there are blood tests that, that, that can be done uh, uh, there's a hscrp which is high sensitive sensitivity crp uh, esr is also an inflammatory marker as well um, there's also, if the ferritin, which is the stored iron, goes high, that can also be a marker yes. of inflammation. If some when liver markers certain can go high, that can also be a marker of inflammation. So there are various signs that we can use in the blood test, as well as obviously clinical symptoms and, and the functional some, testing. Something like the CRP, where would we be looking at that to be as a normal, what, what then tells us, I mean, obviously if it's sky high, then yeah. that would be... Um, an indicator, but what about just that chronic low-grade inflammation? When would the alarm bells start to go off? Yeah, so the, the general, the, the scale is, is, is less than five, yeah. but ideally you want that less than 0.4. So if, if, even if it's hovering around yeah. that normal mark, it's a case of where, where is this coming from? Mm, mm. It's an interesting one. I, I often do do that test just to see where people are at, particularly when we're looking at skin conditions and, and inflammatory skin yeah. conditions as well. So um, it, it's good to know. For, for I always say to people, if they are having pathology work and blood tests, always keep a copy as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it's always that, good to have you have your record of, of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do think with, say, the functional medicine side and with naturopaths, nutritionists, they would look at a blood test probably quite differently to a traditional GP yeah. who's looking for out of range or yes. abnormal. Again, with functional medicine and more of a holistic approach, we're looking at what might still be in the normal range, but still may be abnormal or abnormally high yeah. in normal. Yes, that, absolutely. That yeah. sense, it's actually it? looking at the, the numbers and not, not just yes. looking out for the, for the, for the for stars. The star. <laughs> When you've got a star, that's when you've really got to worry. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying to prevent the stars. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, Amy, this is really interesting. I know there's a lot of people out there with thyroid conditions. 
if someone's got Hashimoto's, again, with all different types of thyroid, whether it be Hashimoto's, underactive or overactive, we're still really looking at gut to start with, aren't we? And and, uh, And other lifestyle factors, definitely. And when we're saying lifestyle, I know, like myself, you're a big believer in yoga. Yes. how important is something like that, you know, meditation and yoga, do you think when it comes to treating, I guess if you're treating thyroid, you're looking at gut, you're looking at reducing stress. So it, yeah. so it is beneficial, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, yeah. And again, there's a lot of research now around both yoga as therapy and meditation as well. So <clears throat> in a lot of the studies that have been done around meditation, it, it's been shown over their study period that it's actually reduced inflammatory markers it's actually reduced the size of uh, the amygdala, which is the part of the brain that, that, mm. that can swell up in, in, in a stress response. Um, so a lot of brain changes, you know, all that scientific evidence is there for meditation. When it comes to yoga, we want to be doing something restorative, maybe yin, just a calming type of yoga. We don't want sympathetic overactivation. Yes, actually, here. that's a very good point because I think a lot of people that are stressed then go for the stressful type of exercise so they'll be going for the hot flow yoga or they'll be doing runs and you know running which can actually put more stress on the body and quite often the people that need the relaxing types of um, exercise go for the strenuous type of exercise yeah yeah and it's certainly while we're trying to improve the condition we would want a shift in 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 how how they exercise as well Um, and certainly I, I find that as a, quite a, quite a lot as well that we need, we need to bring bring things down um, and incorporate more restorative um, practices such yeah. as restorative yoga or tai chi or qigong. Yeah, and I think sometimes you have to work your way up to those as well because if you are a very stressed out individual, yeah. going from sort of high intensity workouts suddenly going to yin yoga yeah. <laughs> can be a challenge for a lot of yeah. people because yeah. you, you're left with your feelings, if you like, in yeah. in yoga positions, and then the brain can you can start to notice how active the brain really is. Yeah. So yeah, it is something that if if you have tried and, and don't like it, you, you sometimes do need to work your way up. I know the first time I tried Tai Chi, I was way too stressed for it and yeah. it was I felt like it was making me more stressed because it made me face my stress. Yes. Yeah. But then I went and did yoga, yoga calmed me down and then I could go into Tai Chi and absolutely loved it. But yeah. I just the first time I tried it I was so far from being in the right headspace, it was just too overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. So I think if you like really high intensity yoga, go for maybe a hatha or a bit slower and then yeah. work down to yeah. the yin and the restorative and then, then go to the meditation yeah. and the, um, the tai chi yeah, type treatment. Sometimes it's just doing those little things and working your way up to them. We sometimes go all or nothing and then go, oh, it didn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. But I, I can vouch for yoga being um, something that I found very, very beneficial myself for, for stress and even for gut issues, actually. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Because, you know, it's affecting the vagus nerve too. Yeah, so it, yeah. it does have a, a great effect on, on digestion and, and gut too. Yeah, yeah. And also breathing. And, and that's often that missing link as well. Again, we could do everything with diet and everything, but... If we're not addressing the breathing, which is again linked to stress, because when people are stressed, they breathe from the chest, not through 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 the abdomen. We want the vagus nerve to be activated. We want to be belly breathing essentially, yep. not the other way around. 
Yeah. So that's a really important thing to look at. And you know, a simple thing I sometimes say to patients is, just for a minute, just do some belly breathing. Just you know, pretend there's a balloon that you're inhaling that out, and even to do that throughout the day can be a nice little technique. I, you know, if I've got a stressful event coming up, or I've got a talk, or something where I can feel my heart rate suddenly going up, I just take time out and do some slow, deep breathing, and it yeah. makes a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah, and it only takes a minute, you know, and we, we, we can all just spend a few minutes in silence, which again, research has, has proven that silence is, is really beneficial to our health. The, mm. So it's, I guess it's not about, yes, if we can get to class is great, but even if you know, people are time poor, there are still little things that can be done on a daily basis, even if people can't get to a class or don't want to go to a class for whatever reason. Um, you know, that belly breathing, you know, legs up the wall before bed is just a great thing just to chill out and relax. And it really has an effect on, on the really parasympathetic calming. nervous system. Yeah, very, very powerful. Um, I, I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> that one keeps me calm. Just, just to finish, I know you just quickly said um, silence is really beneficial mm. to health. I mm. just want to quickly talk about that because in, in what way is silence beneficial to health? I think the world we're living in, we are not having time for ourselves. It's all go, 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 or it's social media. And that silent time, just to be with ourselves, it calms the brain, it calms the nervous system. And it just helps to balance that sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system. I think it's a good point because we are bombarded by noise you know you might have the tv on or the radio yeah. on there's, there's noise yeah. everywhere we've got social media we've got yeah. podcasts yeah. I mean, you're listening to one now yeah. <laughs> yeah but you know sometimes it is good just to have that silence just to allow yourself to be with your thoughts yeah just connect to yourself and you know often people are disconnected it's it's um the, the, the what 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 is part of modern life these days it's sort of rushing around working and all sorts of other responsibilities and not having that time for yourself and mm. I think that's so important mm, even five minutes even five minutes five minutes of quiet I must admit I naturally quite often will have silence I turn the, the radio on the television off my husband's the opposite he'll have every room <laughs> on with every noise and I'm like I actually find it quite stressful yeah so I'll come in and turn it all off yeah. and for me just having that peace is is just time to just sort of stop and, and be and yeah I find that quite quite relaxing now, if someone is concerned about their thyroid health or even their gut health or even yeah. autoimmune conditions, because I know that's an area that you um, are very interested and very experienced in, how can we find you? So I have a website, uh, which is dramygajal.com. So all the details are on there. And I'm currently working at the Holistic Medical Center in Surrey Hills, as well as in the city on Macquarie Street. Fantastic. And I also offer Skype um, or Zoom or phone consultations for people who may be living further afield. Fantastic. So you don't have to be in Sydney to actually have a, a consultation no. with you. No, that's fine. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, anything else that you're working on at the moment that you want to share? I'm doing further yoga training in Kundalini, so uh, this is very much focused on the breath and quite different from your standard yoga as most people would know yoga. So I'm loving that and I'm planning on teaching that once I've finished my training. 
Well, I'll be your first student. <laughs> you've, you've got a student already. I'll be, I'll be there. Tell me where and when and, and I will be there. Amy, thank you so much. It's been a, a wealth of information talking to you today. And I know for a lot of people, it would have been very useful information. Um, please look Amy up. It's Dr. Amy Gajar, G-A-J-A-R-R. Have I spelled that right? G-A-J-A-R. No? Just say that one more time. <laughs> so it's uh, it's it's amygajar.com. So it's D-R-A-M-Y-G-A-J-A-R.com. Great. Um, you come up anyway the minute you type in Dr. Amy and put the G in and you, you come up because um, you are, are very experienced and a lot of people um, highly recommend you, as do I. But thank you for today. And I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll have you back to talk about a lot of other medical um, insights. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Fiona.